0: You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world.
1: As the clock ticks toward the closure of the 60-day comment period on February 6th, and NIST prepares to review and finalize guidance, there are still some crucial concerns regarding the draft interagency guidance framework for considering the exercise of March in Rights, a tool created to evaluate when it might be appropriate to require licensing of a patent developed with federal funding. The bayh Act has been pivotal in shaping public-private partnerships and innovation in the U.S. Today, we're discussing Autumn's stance, the intentions behind the Act, and the potential impact of the draft guidelines. Joining us for this discussion is our friend, Mike Waring, Autumn's Advocacy and Alliances coordinator. Mike is president-slash-CEO of Waring Federal Strategies, a D.C.-based consulting firm. He has been active with Autumn for nearly 20 years, having previously served as Assistant VP of Advocacy and, more recently, Cabinet Chair of the Advocacy and Alliances portfolio. Mike previously worked as the Director of University of Michigan's D.C. office for 20 years, where he was active on tech transfer and IP issues. He chaired the AAU Task Force on Intellectual Property, IT, and Tech Transfer for many years, as well as working with Autumn on advocacy issues. Before his work with Michigan, Mike worked at the National Association of Broadcasters and was a legislative aide-slash-press secretary for Representative Harold Rogers, a Republican from Kentucky. He has received numerous honors, including both Autumn's Volunteer of the Year Award and the Bayh-Dole Award. Welcome, Mike. It's really great to have you back here on the podcast.
0: Thanks, Lisa. Always a pleasure to be with you and our our, uh, podcast audience today.
1: Yeah, and we have a lot to talk about today. And I wanted to start off um, and kick this off by talking about the Buy dole Act. And, you know, we all know that that's a crucial piece of legislation. Talk to us about how it's facilitated public-private partnerships and innovation in the U.S.
0: Not too long ago, there was a... uh, a publication that kind of covers congress and they said a number of years ago that they thought for the um, for the uh, second half of the 20th century the baidol act was one of the most transactional transformational pieces of legislation that congress had worked on and i think that's right you know if you think about that along with things like the creation of the national science foundation after world war ii and things like that that has really made our country the world leader in technology so i think Bidol is a critical part of that. I think it's because it's been around for 40 plus years. I think people don't, they they sort of take it for granted, don't really think about it. But it was, you know, if you go back to those days in the late 70s, when we, we had the government funding all kinds of research and very few things were getting across that chasm into the public's ability to use it, there were essentially no pharmaceuticals that became used before 1980. I mean, we just sort of look at that and we say, how can that be? Because we've gotten so used to the fact that Dole allows all this by incentivizing the university or the nonprofit institution to take these great ideas to market with an incentive through the patent system and through uh, licensing. It's just been an amazing transaction transformation for our country. So, you know, we, we've seen. You know, every couple of years, Autumn and bio come out with this joint report about the impact of all this in terms of what tech transfer means. And we're looking at close now to $2 trillion over the last 30 plus years, literally millions of jobs, tens of thousands of patents, hundreds of drugs, hundreds of many numerous other inventions that we all sort of take for granted. So you cannot really understate the importance of how this has had a huge impact on our country and, and, and the impact it's continuing to have and will have in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes you're right. Um, it's been around so long that people almost take it for granted, so to speak, in a way. So, Mike, I wanted to ask you, you know, Autumn strongly believes that using march-in rights to lower drug prices is improper under the Bidole Act. Can you elaborate a little bit on why Autumn holds this position? Well,
0: I think, you know, we look at the bi Act and the creators, the crafters of that legislation, um, didn't want to get into a lot of guessing about what is and what should not be moved forward here. So they created a sort of a, a fallback, uh, a kind of a, um, uh, what do you want to call it, a parachute for, for technologies that might get blocked by people rather than being developed by people. So they have very limited uses for margin because they wanted to make sure that these technologies, when they're licensed, actually get to the marketplace and aren't just stuck on a shelf by somebody else who wants to block competition or that sort of thing. Uh, and the track record of that has been pretty clear that that really hasn't happened. In fact, most universities that I know put that a requirement in the licensing with these licensees that if they don't develop the patent the invention, that the university will take it back and offer it to somebody who will because we don't want it sitting on somebody's shelf there. So I think our view is that the law is very specific about what and when you can use margin rights. And there's nothing in there that says anything about the price of drugs or the price of wind technology or the price of cell phones or any of those things that gets into the discussion about whether something can or cannot be marched in on. So I think that's really, it's a central point. It's one of the three major points that we make in our, our uh, filings with the NIST that just came out uh, the week of uh, January 22nd that basically that's the lead point is that there is no the congress didn't leave wiggle room for this be to be reinterpreted they were very clear about what the very limited uses of march in could be and that's one of the reasons why march in has never really been used because there haven't been situations that have required it to be used but by opening this pandora's box and now letting it all of a sudden be subjected subjectively used by countless agencies who knows how it'll be interpreted That's going to be a recipe for disaster. And that's why we feel very strongly that uh, the whole point about price should not be involved in any of this discussion about, about margin.
1: Yeah, and it's been very interesting because the NIH attempted to include pricing terms when licensing federally funded inventions, but then they later backtracked on that. So do you know the reasons behind that decision and what its impact was on the development of federally funded inventions?
0: You know, that was back in '89 when we had the Cratas, and that was one of the things that they thought was going to be a way to sort of have more federal oversight of these kinds of things. but after six years, they backtracked and said this, this has been a total bust." And the reason they did is because the, the industry was shunning some of these things. It was not getting the kind of response that they thought they were going to be thought they were going to get. So clearly it didn't work then. And so the notion that we can all of a sudden resurrect this 30 years later and have all of a sudden be working in a different way is 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 not the way to go about doing this. So I think that's that was a lesson learned. And we mentioned that uh, example in our filings where we say that this was the government itself understood that this was a bad decision that it made. And thankfully, they reversed their decision on that and they realized it was not helping innovation as in fact was impeding innovation. It was making it harder to license new inventions rather than making it easier. So that's why they did that. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us. You know, they say, you know, the people who fail to read history are doomed to repeat it. Let's not repeat that history here.
1: Yeah, no, definitely not. And another aspect that I find particularly interesting is that there seems to be bipartisan support and consensus among many experts that the bayh Act doesn't allow margin rights based on drug pricing Can you highlight some of the key points from both Democrats and Republican administrations, federal agencies, former judges and scholars that support this view? Well, I can.
0: You know, I think you look at the last three or four uh, administrations that we've had going back to Bush and Obama um, and uh, and and Trump and also uh, uh, President uh, Biden. I mean, we have never used this. And there's been a number of applications, number of attempts, about 20, I think, over the years to try to in, in, invoke marching. Most of it led by um, our friend Jamie Love at KEI as he's tried to push back on this whole notion that there are drugs that are too expensive. And the way to solve that problem is to take that patent back and give it to other manufacturers so that there's more competition, drive down the cost, and that sort of thing. Um, So I think that's the the reason that they understand it isn't going to work. It hasn't worked. It shouldn't be used in the past. We even had the administration, current administration, saying that about Extandy last year, just a few months ago. So now all of a sudden it's 180 degrees. I was in a meeting the other day and someone said, when did Baiduil get amended in the last six months? Well, it hasn't been. And nothing's been changed to change the interpretation of any of this. I will point to um, a number of other folks that have come out and said uh, things that are of, of concern. Uh, clearly, both uh, the previous last two uh, directors of the patent office, Dave Kapos, Andre Yanku, from different administrations, have both come out and said this is a horrible idea and it should not be pursued. Um, and of course, our, the Bayh-Dole coalition, led by our friend Joe Allen, has been adamant that this is a total rewrite of the legislation, for which there is no precedent, there's no, uh, there's no wiggle room in the way that they're looking at it. Um, the former head of the uh, federal circuit, Paul, uh, Judge Paul Michel, has been one of the most outspoken opponents of this. I mean, this is a, this is a total, re- totally ridiculous. So we're seeing a lot of, of pushback. Uh, I was at an event earlier this week in Washington and representatives of the National Association of Manufacturers were saying this is going to be a huge problem for their members not, not just in the drug area, but all these other technologies, because this is not limited to just to drugs. This, is, this affects every invention that comes along the pike that has federal money. You know, Steve Stosalka, our CEO, likes to use this phrase that was used then, that, that these inventions were contaminated with federal funding. And we're, we're going to go back to those bad days if we're not careful here. And that's why we've been so adamant to say this is really a terrible idea that they're thinking about doing.
1: Yeah, it really is not a good idea. And in fact, I know Autumn believes that using margin rights for pricing purposes would have a devastating effect on innovation and access to drugs, like you were just alluding to. Can you tell us some of the potential adverse consequences that might result and how it might affect various disciplines beyond medicine? Well, you know, I think
0: you look at the people who are investing in these inventions. So they want to know, make sure that they're going to be able to get their money back on these. Risk, already risky, uh, risky investments sometimes on some of these early stage uh, uh, ideas and technologies. Uh, I was at a, a panel this week, and the former uh, uh, patent director, Dave Capo, said he's already heard from several of his clients saying, hey, do we need to start being careful about investing in some of these federally funded research things? It's already having an effect. We haven't even had the framework framework even uh, finalized, and it's already having a negative effect. Yeah, the comments people. aren't
1: even in yet because they're due in yes. you know two weeks.
0: Right, but I mean, this, this tells you that even even the suggestion that you could plant this idea that this might happen, it's beginning to make people wonder whether they can invest in some of these technologies. And that that is the problem because finding investors is one of the key components of tech transfer. Who is going to put their money on top of the money that the government has already invested through the research at the university or at the um, research institution to build on that. You know, uh, universities don't show up with a drug and hand it to a drug company. It's a compound. It needs a lot of work. It's got to go through further refinement. You've got to go through all the testing. It takes years to bring those things to to market. Uh, And the notion that you're going to sort of say down the road, well, somebody might just throw this overboard because somehow – some bureaucrat has made the determination that the price for this is unreasonable, whatever that means, is ludicrous. It's the reason, if you look and see what By and Dole themselves said not too long ago, they both said when they were asked about this, they said, we didn't put that in there for a reason because it's too amorphous to try to decide who's going to make that judgment about price of any kind of technology, whether it's drugs or any of these other things that people invent. We just simply can't have that. It's an aftermarket decision. It's like going back on a promise that was made to allow this technology to move forward. You know, and I think one of the things we do say in the autumn comments, and we say it without sort of whether it's good or bad, we say there are other ways the government has affected drug prices. You'll recall that last year, the government said $35 per month is the maximum price for insulin. Insulin's not even on patents anymore but they didn't want people to be gouged on prices if people thought that was happening. And then the other thing is that you know they also allowed Medicare to negotiate uh, prices with the government. So there are a couple ways focused right on drug pricing that have nothing to do with any of this and aren't going to tip over the balance for other kinds of technologies that we care about. So it while we while this is focused on or the maybe the motivation is drug pricing we're almost we're really more concerned about the the endemic Uh, 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 effect this will have on all these other things, clean energy and agriculture and AI and all these other things. Uh, If people aren't going to invest in those things, quantum computing, we're going to fall behind China and these other countries and we're going to find ourselves in a real pickle.
1: So, Mike, I wanted to ask you, the draft guidelines, they really are taking a step backwards could you elaborate on specific aspects of the guidelines that Autumn finds concerning and how they might impact industry licensing and development of federally funded inventions?
0: Well, I'm going to start by saying what I just talked about is that is that when when a a margin, let's say a company decides to file a margin petition against some invention and they could go and say, look, you know, they're charging this much for it, this little company. But we're a big company. We've got big, powerful industry. We've got lots of leverage. We could make that for half the price. Why don't you take that patent away from them and give it to us? Well, what is that going to do to our whole economy if we start doing that sort of thing? The notion that we can have people in the government making these very um, you know, these very individualized decisions based on what and what will be the process for adjudicating those internally. I mean, you're talking about... You know, we've, we've been complaining the last few years about the patent trial and appeals board. Uh, thankfully, there's legislation now that we're supporting in Congress to try to fix that problem. But people using that legal process to hold up technologies or to try to beat technologies back and, and, and tying things up, this is going to be another way people can do that with technologies or steal people's technologies under the theory that we can do a better job than they're doing it's going to favor the big companies over the small companies because they're going to have the resources, and some little startup company isn't going to have any time or money to defend itself in any kind of adjudication on this sort of thing so this is all just going to be a, a nightmare, and where this could lead, we have no idea, but it's not good and so I think if you look more into more detail in our comments, there'll be a lot of specifics about this, but I would just say overall that this is the this is the notion that the government can make these very uh, uh, discretionary decisions about things without any kind of formal guidance is, 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 is ill-conceived and is going to lead uh, us to, into a bad situation in terms of all these technologies.
1: Now, as the 60-day comment period is set to conclude on February 6th, and NIST is going to review all comments before finalizing the guidance, Mike, what actionable steps do you recommend auto members take to ensure that their voices are heard in shaping the outcome? And how can they actively contribute to this crucial discussion and influence the direction of the Bidole Act and the draft guidelines?
0: So I think there's pretty clear, and I think we give that instruction in the email that went out the other day uh, from Steve Sasalka, which is basically that we want as many Autumn members as possible to file comments. And they don't need to be 50 pages. They could be a single-page letter. Uh, An individual university or an individual could just simply send a letter saying, I'm attaching a copy of Autumn's comments. I support this. I hope you will not do this. And please read this for more detail. But if they can add additional local color, I I think it's really important when universities and other groups weigh in that they localize this as much as they can and talk about specific things in their own background. Maybe inventions that they themselves have created and the benefits that those have uh, uh, parlayed to the people in that region. Because what you also want to do, and you can do this in conjunction with your federal relations officer, is make sure that letter, once you your comments, once they're filed, gets circulated to the members of Congress from your state and region. Because I think lawmakers are, sta- are starting to push back on this as well. I think, frankly, their voices will carry as much or more weight as ours. But by us getting engaged with allies to show the fallacy of this whole approach, we will then have them pushing back on NIST and saying, look, this is the wrong decision. You guys need to back off of this. You need to rethink this whole thing. We need to do a study. We need to do something else. This is not the way to go about doing this. And if they hear from enough comments like that, that will also add a lot of weight in terms of what they may do politically. So make sure you're including the local situation. Make sure you're including your federal uh, relations officers uh, in terms of drafting these comments, the VPRs, your legal counsel on campus. File by February 6th. It's easy to do. You just you just basically attach. as a website. You click on there. You attach your comments. You press a button. You're done. But then take copies of that and share it with everybody. Share it with your governor. Share it with your economic development people in your, in your region. Share it with all your members of Congress, your mayors, people in your area, so they understand this is really serious. Because even after February 6th, there's going to be time to continue to put pressure on NIST not to do this. And we need to keep up that pressure. We can't just assume we sent on our comments, now we're done. No, we need to keep pushing. And the more people that we can engage to help us push back on this, the more likely we are to get a better outcome when all is said and done.
1: Yeah, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this really important topic. I know you've been working really, really hard on Autumn's comments. Uh, tell us and remind us you have a webinar coming up on this topic. And also you have a panel coming up at the Autumn Annual Meeting. Tell us about both. Yes.
0: Yeah, so there's going to be a panel, uh, there's going to be a webinar uh, Monday, the 29th of January, coming up, which will be, include uh, Steve Sasalka, uh, our CEO, and also uh, Sheila Kadura from the University of Texas system, who was, uh, also chairs our legal task force. She was one of the authors of our comments. So Sheila's going to kind of give the background. Steve's going to talk about Autumn's view, and I'm going to give sort of the pitch on what to do, which I just sort of gave to you. We'll get into more detail, and we'll try to take some questions on that. So that's coming up on Monday, the 29th. But for those of you coming to the autumn annual meeting in San Diego, we're going to do our annual policy session, and that will be Monday, the 19th of February at 11 o'clock. So right after the opening session, please come to our session, and it'll be me and Sheila, but also Joe Allen, our old friend. Bob Hardy from Koger, who's been working on these issues for years and years and has great experience. The four of us are going to cover not just this issue, but a whole list of issues going on in Washington to get you up, up to speed on what's happening and so that you can make your university's voice heard in Washington on all kinds of issues. This will be number one. We'll talk about some others as well. We would love to have a big turnout for that. This is a, I can't think of, a, of an issue more important in my time with Autumn than this issue right in front of us. So I hope that people will come, be engaged, learn how to communicate, learn how to work with people on your campus so that your voice is heard on this issue, but also the other issues we care about.
1: Well, thank you so much again, Mike, for joining us and for all your expertise on these various issues. My pleasure. So where do we go from here? Autumn members, this is your call to action. As the comment period comes to a close and NIST prepares to finalize guidance, your voices matter. We urge you to actively contribute to this crucial discussion, ensuring that your perspectives shape the outcome of the bayh Act and the draft guidelines. Your actionable steps can influence the direction we take. Thank you for joining us in this pivotal discussion today. For more information, be sure to attend the upcoming webinar hosted by Autumn on January 29th. Visit autumn.net for more information.
0: Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us.